Hi, I'm Jim Raffle. Welcome to this episode of the Die Subcast. I'm here with my partner in business crime. Go ahead and say, go ahead and say hello. Thanks, Jim. I'm Shelby Sapusek, and during each episode of the Die Subcast, we share our experience as small business owners in die sublimation printing and or we bring on a guest to talk about their own experience. So over the course of the life of this podcast, we have talked to equipment manufacturers and die sublimation producers, but we have also brought on some guests to talk about marketing, data analysis, and other pieces of running a die sublimation business that might not be obvious topics. Before we get to today's guest, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming color management boot camp, which will be held in person at New Tech Digital Inc.'s Miami facility from August 31st to September 2nd. I will say we are starting to run out of space for this boot camp, so please reserve your seat as soon as possible. As far as dye sublimation goes, New Tech does have capabilities for that, so our attendees will be able to go through the hands-on profiling experience using dye sub technology. You can also become a certified digital professional via Printing United Alliance. Uh, visit colorcasters.com Miami to slash Miami to find out more. So today we have a very special guest. Jacob pretty much runs the back end of our business, including editing and delivering this podcast to you each week. What's also interesting is he works with Shelby to manage our dye sub business called Chrome Apparel. And he, in addition to that, he creates profiles for desktop dye sublimation systems that are contracted to, a, well, we con our clients contract us to build those profiles. And Jacob does a tremendous amount of the work on that with just a little bit of input from me. So I should also tell you though, that in the interest of full disclosure, that Jacob and I share a last name and his mother happens to be my wife. So yes, he's my son as well. So what you should all know is that a few years ago, Jacob came to work for Colorcasters. He'd, uh, he'd gotten some education in graphic design, had a couple other jobs, and just decided that the, the things he'd done related to printing and graphic arts were the most interest to him. And so he uh, joined Colorcasters to help with some of our back-end administrative work initially. But really, I think that changed quite a bit once the pandemic hit, as I mentioned earlier. And... Jacob, why don't you kind of fill us in on what it was like, you know, a year and a half ago when you and I were trying to convert our basement into a, in a dye sublimation lab. What, what did you think about that as it related to some of the work you've done in what's, what was essentially, I guess, a quick print shop, for lack of a better way to describe it? It was certainly overwhelming at first. There was definitely a lot of learning along the way. And looking back at it, I know significantly more about color management and building profiles than I expected to. I definitely assumed that for a while I would just be running the back end of the website and making invoices and purchase orders and things along those lines. And I didn't think I'd actually be making meaningful contributions to the business in that regard. And that did change pretty quickly. I know, I know we had, so we had used some of the equipment in the basement, like we kind of shoved off in a corner. We had what a heat press and one small desktop printer um what maybe maybe a computer i don't even know if we had a dedicated computer at that point in the game a little light booth and we were building essentially these profiles i was talking about earlier for a desktop printer manufacturer and and kind of talk about that transformation from like a, the lab environment to reconfiguring the whole basement for production because a lot of our listeners do run small dye sublimation businesses from their home i mean that that how do you feel that that changed uh, I mean, we started out with, like you said, we had one heat press in the corner that you had gotten from 
one of your consulting jobs and we had a table that wasn't even a real table that ended up falling apart later and a single laptop and that was pretty much the whole thing and now what a year and a half two years later we have two heat presses we have a large format printer we have a regular printer and three more tables with three different measuring instruments and certainly transformed significantly I don't know if that even answered your question. No, it, it absolutely does. Because like you said, we went from one little corner. I, I loved what you, you brought up, like the tables, because, you know, Shelby can jump in here too. When we set up her little dye sub lab, we kind of modeled after what we had, had already accomplished in the basement where we, we figured out the importance of having work tables, right? And so we went with these rolling tables from Home Depot, like some, some nice big workbench size things. Husky tables is what husky tables, husky tables. You're probably sitting at one right now, right, Shelby? I am. <laughs> and so, you know, for, for our listeners, that that was a, a big lesson for me. And you know, you guys, you guys do most of the production now. I, I probably haven't done production in months, maybe even a year. Does that does having all those tables help? I'll tell Absolutely. you when it helps me. When my ceiling was coming down before my roof got replaced and I had to move all this equipment from my office to a second bedroom, having these tables that wheeled helped out a lot. Just this week when I was building a couple of profiles that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I needed to use a different measuring instrument and the metal that we had was about three times as long as the measuring instrument. So using our wheeled tables, I was able to wheel one of the tables over next to the computer so the measuring instrument could still be hooked up. And I was able to set it up in a way that even with a bunch of metal hanging off of the end of it, I was still able to measure. I mean, that's not as applicable for production, but obviously all the table space also helps with production, just having room to cut down paper, set up things to go on the press when I'm pressing a pair of socks it's nice to have the the space on the table to set up a second pair of socks so I can instantly get it on there and at the beginning of this week I was making 11 pairs of socks so just having a lot of extra table space to set up new ones to go on there makes that go significantly quicker compared to when we first started and we had one tiny table that I was trying to fit everything on and just having all of the space to manage everything makes production go a lot more smoothly if you're making anything more than a single print. And that's where, that's really where I was trying to go for our listeners is that when you start, you know, you might be doing this on on a combination of your kitchen table and a, and a folding table, but at at some point adding the, the workspace helped us. I know one for a while when we were, so let's go back about a year, year and a half, at, the, at, at a point, we were very, very busy. You know, Jake talked about 11 socks. That's a big order for us now. But a year, year and a half ago, we had an order for a thousand gators. Um, we had several orders in the hundreds, you know, 50s. And we had to set up a dedicated shipping table and, and packing table when we had that kind of quantity going. And as Jake mentioned, because these tables are on wheels, we're able to repurpose them now. But you brought something up that I was really thinking about. Um, Productivity, you know, the staging pairs of socks, staging gators. I remember when we were making that thousand gator order, you you set the record. Didn't you make like 32 in one hour or something like that? Yeah, that was the whole thing. I think it started out, I'd get like 10, maybe 15 of them done in an hour. And once you get the hang of it and you get a system 
and you start, like you said, staging them, you start setting them up while the other ones are pressing because you've got 30, 40, 50 seconds of downtime, depending on how long what you're making has to be in the heat press for. So during that time, if you're able to get the next one set up, it makes it so you can maximize that production time so that the only bottleneck to your production is the time that the actual substrates are inside of the heat press and everything else is just you moving things around. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting lesson, you know, again, going from making profiles where there's really no time constraints to, Oh my God, how do we get a thousand of these delivered by the date we promised? And we've, we've never made anything for money. (laughs) It was, it was interesting. So kind of transitioning into color management that I do know that when Shelby was there, we made a, a we made a custom profile for Gators on what you know the 24 inch what you call wide format printer, and did did you notice a difference in quality once we did that? Yeah, absolutely. It the difference I don't want to say it was night and day, but it was definitely noticeable. I think what we were running beforehand it was fine for what we were doing, especially at the beginning of everyone needing masks and at that time gators people didn't really care about how good the color looked they just needed something on their face so they could meet guidelines but obviously as you get further into it people are trying to brand the masks and they want to have masks that look good rather than just a mask and i think at that stage having the profile it made a pretty big difference in matching the color to look correct rather than the color looking okay And I remember a couple of those orders that were, had a lot of gray in them. Right. And so we know gray is important for profiling, right? Yeah. Just over the last two, three days, Jacob has been emailing and texting me about a profiling project we're working on right now. And so, you know, knowing what you know now about production, how important do you think it is to either somehow build your own profiles or go with a manufacturer who has, you know, not just one profile, but maybe some, a selection of profiles and profiles that you can tell are built with some quality. Uh, I actually have a story from one of my previous jobs, pre-color casters that I think lines up with this pretty well. When I worked at Office Max and their print department way back in the day, there would be certain things that we would print where people would bring in their files and it, it would just be like a birthday invitation for little Timmy, or it could be just some sort of advertising flyers that people would bring in. But sometimes people would bring that in and it would print out on the little laser printer that they have there. And people would say, oh, that doesn't really look like it did on the monitor. And we'd have to explain to them that because the monitor is an RGB and then the, it would print in CMYK and as most layman terms as possible for people getting things printed at a retail store. And I think... It kind of harkens back to that because I remember going into InDesign and trying to modify the colors as much as I could to make it match what they originally had so that the color could kind of match up with what they wanted. And I think on a much bigger scale, if you're doing actual production and selling a product, you'll get that same exact reaction from people. If you're doing a custom product for someone, say a mask, since that's applicable to us, and they upload their file, they want you to print 50 of their masks, and they see it, and they say, this doesn't look like what I uploaded, then 
you've got 50 masks that your customer is not really happy with. And I think that is where having a profile is incredibly important, where whatever materials you're going to be printing on, it makes sense to either build your own or use profiles made by people who know what they're doing. Yeah, I like that. That's good advice. Self-serving, but still great advice. <laughs> yeah, I hear um, if you want to know how to make profiles, you could attend uh, this color management boot camp thing that you can learn more about at colorcasters.com slash Miami. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing Shelby's job. She's got to do that at the end. <laughs> All right. So, Shelby, can you think of anything else you want to ask Jacob, or should we? I do. Um, last so, oh, you do? Yes, okay. This is, okay. I am, this is something I haven't talked to Jake about, and I probably should have way back when. One of the things, if you're going to do like a little store, however it is, you know, you make a product and you take some kind of photo of it, blah, 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 um, to post it online. You have kind of a different setup than I do down here in the South. And what has been your experience as far as getting product images you know, the best quality you can online? Well, we did end up buying a little photo booth that we used to set up some of those product images, but I've found for some of them, I almost prefer just having it underneath a lamp with decent lighting just on our work table. And I think it makes it look more, more authentic than a picture inside of a photo booth because we're not professional photographers with professional cameras. I'm just taking a picture with my phone inside of a photo booth. Granted, I'll still frame it well, but I think that it, for custom homemade products, like the little masks or socks and things like that, I think some people, if they're looking through your Etsy store, they might see it and it seems more like a small business. But I think that the picture on a table sometimes looks better than the picture in the plain white photo booth. No, that makes sense because one of my experiences, we were trying to figure this out in the beginning, and I'm not going to say we wasted money because you're always trying to figure things out. And sometimes you use what you buy and sometimes you don't. And I have a, a very smaller version of what you're describing um, as far as like a photo booth. Um, and then I had, you know, when we were doing socks, I have this mannequin foot and, you know, I even had my nephew 3D print a toddler's foot so that I would have, because I couldn't find a toddler mannequin foot online. And so I would, some of the products are, the product image has the sock on this foot. And then other times it would just be, I have like a really nice black tablecloth and I actually use a TV tray and just drape the uh, black tablecloth over that and then put the product on that. And I have a light and, you know, like you were saying, have a light shining down on it and I'd take a picture, but it's just with my iPhone. And I started, you know how you do that A-B testing, right? I started noticing that people were really buying the stuff that was just on the flat black on the, the TV tray rather than the foot. So I would, and I would take both, right? I would have two product images. And if I switched the primary out to just be the flat black, suddenly that product would start selling. And so I wonder if I was just trying to make it too complicated. I don't know. So, Jacob, we always wrap, as you well know as the editor, we usually wrap up, not usually, we, we always wrap up with two questions. And so... I think I can are, guess what they are. 
I can't remember what they are. Well, one one is what's your favorite color? <laughs> yeah, one of them. What trends do you see in the dye sub industry, and the other is your favorite color? Right. <laughs> so why don't you answer those now? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, as someone who listens to this podcast on a weekly basis, usually twice per episode. I can say that customization seems to be a very common trend in the dye sublimation industry. And that's the best answer that I can give you because I'm that's, not really in the dye sublimation industry. I'm just in the back end of your industry. That's an excellent answer though, because you, you know, you, you don't realize it, but you've done, you've done all the research, right? I mean, we've had some pretty cool people on this podcast, not, not saying we were cool. I mean, we are, but not that, not that we are, we've had some pretty, pretty good people on and that's, that does keep coming up. You're right. That's an excellent answer. So what's your favorite color? I should know this, but I probably don't. My favorite color is purple. Wow. And I, I can't give you any reason other than I like how it looks. It's a very regal color. I thought it was going to be blue, but oh well. No. And now I get to ask you a question, right? Wow, it's almost like you know how this works. Yes, you do. Uh, almost um, anything we say. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I have to think, you know, I've, I've heard people ask you guys so many good questions. Well, and you know, it's not like we, we gave you like several weeks notice you were going to be on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had lots of time to prepare for this. (laughs) Okay. I have a question that I can ask you. What is it like with things finally returning to quote-unquote normal with you being able to attend trade shows again and starting up boot camps again granted you haven't had your boot camp that you can learn more about at colorcasters.com slash Miami but seeing as you're preparing for that what's it like going back to that business model again is it weird is it different or does it kind of feel like things are just going back to what you're used to well I'll let Shelby get more into the details. Um, unfortunately, we're slipping a little bit back in that regard. I, I, we have a difference of opinion here. I don't think, I don't think travel is going to be impacted like it was. I don't think there'll be lockdowns like there were. But it sounds like masks are coming back in kind of a big way. Um, but you know, talking more, just talking about 2020, 2021 versus twenty twenty, and because there, you know, that I still had to contend with with mask mandates and so did Shelby when we were traveling, it is getting back to normal. I mean, from January through May of this year was as busy as I had ever, ever been. June was a little slow. July was back to busy. August has some potential to be busy. We'll see how that shakes out now with, with, with what's going on. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, I haven't been wearing masks much anywhere because uh, it hasn't been requested or required. Um, You know, that, and that includes everything from hotels and rental cars. I mean, obviously on airplanes and airports, it's still required. Uh, If I, you know, if you Uber or Lyft, you're going to have to. Um, But, you know, on site is just, it's, it's much more normal. Um, It's much much easier to communicate and get the work done you don't realize how much um social distancing and constantly sanitizing your hands and having to talk through masks it really does slow the process down and make things 
more challenging. There's no question about that in hindsight. <clears throat> Not nothing I would have expected if, if you'd have asked me this six months ago. But um, as 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 those things have eased, my job has gotten easier in the field for sure. Boot camp, I don't know yet. I mean, I think by the time we get to Miami, um, we're going to be wearing masks at that boot camp potentially. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's far enough out that that could change between now and then. And same thing in Texas, who knows? I mean, it's, uh, th these are weird times, but it, it's definitely been more business as usual this year than last year. Even though we traveled into consulting last year, it was at no time did it feel even remotely normal. My turn? Sure. Um, okay, so I think masks are still gonna be a thing, especially on airplanes and so on and so forth for a while, especially with the news coming out this week. Um, what has been tough? I agree with you, Jim, that things inside where we're training or doing consulting now is easier. And you're right. It, it was difficult you know, um, to understand people sometimes. So you're in, a, you're in a printing facility with all these printers going and a bunch of people around and you have two people trying to communicate through masks. I mean, it, is, it was difficult. And I have noticed um, in the situations where we weren't required to wear masks that it made our jobs a little bit easier because communication was just easier. I think people are opening their doors a lot more to with us. We were comfortable going on those sales calls in Las Vegas last week. I think that's wonderful to be able to do that again. I hope it sticks around and we're not slipping backwards. All right, Jake, thanks for being here with us today and for our audience as well. We do wanna remind you one more time, I don't need to remind them of this again, they've already heard it four times. But anyways, if you're interested in our color management bootcamp, the most, uh, I guess, the most current yeah, one, the next one, <laughs> the next one is colorcasters.com slash Miami. There's also one colorcasters.com slash Dallas if you're interested in that. So thanks for listening to today. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, so Jake doesn't have to do this again, please let us know. Or if you want to know more about our events and everything like that, you can email Shelby at Shelby at colorcasters.com. We publish a new episode of the Die Subcast each Friday. So we'll see you next week.